Yeah. Wow, I feel like, I feel like we, you know, find ourselves in a place as a people reaching for God. You know, like I think, I think I find myself among uh, like-minded and like-hearted people that want to take hold of all that God is and, and the complexities of that and the, the time that takes or the distance that takes or the value of the experiences we find ourselves in, how they contribute to that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a part of who we are that says all of life is forming for us the things of God, the purposes of God, the character of God, the power of God and the love of God, you know, and, and sometimes it can feel a bit weird, you know, like, I mean, I was talking about this last Sunday when we were talking about an imitatable example and in our group at, at our house in, in the way that God works, you know, like when Kai got stuck out on the road, we're, we'll stop talking about it because it's, it's all just painful, I'm sure. But, you know, when Kai and Glenn got stuck out on the road on the four-wheel drive trip up to Fraser Island, you know, big epic trip, four-wheel drive, breaks down eight hours out of Melbourne, gets stuck in the town for three or four days. It's, 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 and, it's, you know, this saga continued on. Anyway, you know, I said, you know, one of the first things that I thought is like, God, where are you in this story? Because I know you're in it, because I knew the process Glenn and Kai had been in, and you know that they wouldn't take a trip like this. They wouldn't make a plan like this if God didn't have his stamp on it. This is the kind of people they are. And I mean, it, it, even just that is a powerful thing to imagine in the first instance that God's still in this story. But then the next thing I thought is, ah, oh, don't be such a, don't be so like, just, it's, this is just a bad thing. Just let it be a bad thing. This is just a breakdown. Just let it be a bad thing. Don't go like making this a thing or making it purposed in Kai's life or Kai's journey. Don't go like pushing all these things into some kind of thing. You know, it's just let it be a bad thing and move on. So I didn't text him. I didn't say anything. You know, but fortunately his mom did, you know, and sent through some things that said God's in this and here's some things that I'm feeling. These guys, no question about it, they'd be, you know, receiving those things along the way. Anyway, it's not the point. The point is that... You know, we've become a people who are looking to receive from God the truth of life and himself and his journey. No matter whether we're in something good or in something challenging, whether things are going the way we thought they would, you know, that's our starting point for our, our, our conversations this morning. And I think what a powerful place to be. You know, what powerful ground to have as a people that says this is who we are and this is how we live and this is what we do. We seek God with our lives and when it doesn't go the way we thought, we keep seeking him because all of it has value in him getting life and forming us in his image. You know, I think, wow, that is such an incredible starting point, you know, for, and it's like, what can, where do we go from there? What can we reach for from there? And, um, you know, I think it's also like us to recognize there's more. You know, and I think, I think this morning I find my own heart reaching for a little bit more of, of uh, God, what he has for Brad, how he characterizes this journey or what Jesus had to say about these things. And really we're continuing on. We sort of set these topics up ages ago and I sort of came to this topic and had a really good idea to go a different direction. And then I just, I took a minute and I journaled about it and God was like, this is what I want to talk about today. And I thought, okay, well, I think you, maybe there's something for me that you have to say, but, but today we're talking about, uh, this idea of, um, Jesus, the perfect son, you know, that, that in Jesus, we have the life of a son as an example and, and I'll, I'll apologize for the gender specificness, 
of this, you know, there there is uh, an opportunity in this picture equally for daughters uh, to take example from being a spiritual child of God. Um, yeah, and I think in the same way that I must identify as a bride, uh, as as a part of the bride of Christ, which I find difficult. I am have never been a bride, do not did never intend in life to be a bride. And so in some of this language, we'll, we'll reach together for being sons and daughters as well. But yeah, this idea of, of, of Jesus being our imitatable example, really what we were talking about last week, but then zeroing in on how Jesus is identified as our God. He's identified as the son. This is his identity. And so in some way, shape or form, as our imitatable example, he is specifically our our example of of being a son or being a child of god and uh we'll we'll take a bit of a we'll take a bit of 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 the long way around at the beginning of this but we're going to look at one passage in john chapter 5 primarily but before i go there i just want to look at this scripture just to sort of catalyze you know the position maybe that we should recognize as our starting point of the example that's around us because if jesus is an example we also have lots of other examples we have any you know examples in school teachers or uh, business people or friends or the world or successful people in media or people that we think are amazing or awesome or that we'd like our life to be like and i think as i read this passage in second timothy chapter three i found myself identifying not outside of the future language that Paul used, but inside of a present language. So Paul's talking about something that he says will come. And as he was going through this list of characteristics, I was like, well, here we are, you know, and, and, and this particular passage is speaking about the last days, you know, and I'm not here to characterize uh, how many last days there are or where we are at in that period. Uh, it's, it's not really the point even of referencing this scripture, and so we'll, we'll stay open about that. But the notion in this, I, I can't escape its characterization of where we find ourselves in society and culture and what surrounds us. And so in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 5, it says, But understand this, that in the last days, I'm reading from Amplified. But understand this, that in the last days, danger that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard to bear. And then he talks about the reason they'll be difficult because he says for. So he's connecting the idea of difficult times with this characterization. Because I think sometimes when we think about the difficult times, we think, oh, there's, you know, it's going to be because of persecution or it's going to be, and, and sure, what, maybe there'll be all these things. But in this particular passage, Paul's saying it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard times. It's going to be stressful and troubling and difficult because there's going to be a characterization of society that's hard. And, and he goes on to say, four people will be lovers of self, narcissistic or self-focused but i think we can tick that box i think that's not a challenge we can't say is present lovers of money impelled by greed i think we can tick that box boastful arrogant revilers revilers is really like people who speak abusively like people who like have harsh words towards others disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy and profane they will be unloving devoid of natural human affection calloused and inhumane irreconcilable malicious gossips 
devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. I mean, like, hey, let's pull the heaviness. You know, you know, I don't feel a bit of a... It's like, you know, we can identify with this. This is now, right? Like, those characteristics are not far from the edges of our own lives, even from their presence in our own motivations, and from, and from those who we find ourselves surrounded by. Like, you know, there is, uh, you know, in, in many ways, this is normal life. You know, would you agree with that? These aren't hard things to find. And in fact, in many senses, they're justified. You know, self-centered pursuits, uh, ungenerous living. Uh, you know, we can go through this. You know, so much of this is like revered, set up as the example, the purpose. And even sometimes when you set your life out against these things, even Christian family who loves us, even community who we find ourselves surrounded by, fear that we are choosing something powerless and purposeless. Maybe, maybe you've felt that or experienced that in your own journey, that foregoing a life focused on these kinds of characteristics maybe is going to be a loser life. Well, can we just say that's just not the truth? Can we start there and go, this characterization, whilst it's present and prevalent both in ourselves and around us, this is not our goal. This is not the example of a life that we want to live. We do not want to live lives of greed, lives devoid of love, lives that are, are self-focused. We don't want to live lives that are, are gossiping and malicious towards others. You know, there is something still satisfying about talking about what somebody else isn't. But that's not the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God sees what is and what's yet to become, and it focuses on that and sees it come to be because we've got a love for the truth of what's in a person. And it's like, let's become those who are fascinated with those things. Anyway, this is not a behavioral modification message. This is just talking about our starting point of what we are up against as far as an imitatable example is concerned. Much of our imitatable example characterizes these things. Can, can we say that's true? Even, even at times in one another. If I'm looking to to justify or find example for some of these things, which, which aren't all, I mean, I am stunned by how normal these characteristics are. If once these were to be characterized as evil or the sign that the troubling time has come, it's like, oh man, this is, this is the prevalent normal. And, and we are those who are reaching for something beyond that. Can we agree with that? We are those who don't want to settle for a life that's characterized by this kind of pursuit and characteristic and, and flow. We're reaching for something more. And I, I found this passage, this story in John where uh, Jesus is, in a sense, confronting the same in a group of people who we might relate to, passionate followers of the message. That's, that's, that's who he finds himself connecting with in John chapter 5. And so it's this story of the healing of the, the lame person at the pool of Bethsaida. I won't read the whole thing, but, you know, basically the story goes that the, whenever the pool swirls, 
uh, the first person to get in and touch the water is healed. It's kind of like a race for the disabled. It just doesn't seem super cool. It is. Think about it. Oh, I have a disability, so I'm going to line myself up on the edge of the pool, and when it stirs, all the disabled people are going to try and throw themselves towards the water, and the first person who gets there gets healed, and the rest of them go back and sit on their mat and wait for the next time it swells up. It's sort of like, I mean, it's a bit of a picture, isn't it? And so the particular man that Jesus stops and talks to, Jesus says to him, do you, do you want to be healed? And he said, I don't have anybody to help me get down there. And every time I try to go, somebody gets there before me. So he's been there for some time in the race of the disabled trying to get his healing. And Jesus goes, pick up your pallet in the, in the amplified version and walk, you're healed. Oh, what a beautiful story. What a powerful story of God coming in power and changing and transforming the life of a person. And so he's walking around with his pallet, whatever that is, Matt. I'm not really sure what he was sitting on, but I don't mind the picture of a pallet. And, and the, the people of the, the, the time are upset about this because it's the Sabbath. Who told you you could carry that thing today? on a day like today. Not only has he done a work of healing on the Sabbath, now he's instructed someone that they could go ahead and carry something. They're, he's breaking the rules. And so we'll pick it up there. This is what's happened. Jesus has entered into a conversation with the people who have a problem with the pallet-carrying healed man who won his race for healing because Jesus reached out and touched him. It says in, in John chapter 5, starting at verse 16, for this reason... The Jews began to persecute Jesus continually because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. He has never ceased working and I too am working. I, I sort of read that as, and now it's my turn. I, I'm at this job now too. You know, God's, my father's been working through the whole of the story of all of the people of God. And now what you're experiencing is that I'm at work now too. Me too. I'm here. The Father's not ever not been about this, but now here I am at work in this same thing now too. It's like I have joined him in the very things that he is desiring to do on behalf of his people. He goes on to say, this made the Jews even more determined than ever to kill him. For not only was he breaking the Sabbath from their viewpoint, but he was also calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the son can do nothing of himself of his own accord, unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever things the father does, the son in his turn also does in the same way for the father dearly loves the son and shows him everything that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will be filled with wonder. And so Jesus' response to him is, this is the way it works. He's my dad. That's my dad. Of course I'm doing what he's doing. And of course I'm doing it the way he would do it. Because that's what a son does. You know, and it's this, it, as, I, as I sort of tripped over this idea, you know, the son can't do anything of himself. The son... The son doesn't find his own way. You know, I think there's some principles that are at play here that maybe we've lost a little bit of value for today. You know, if you think about the story of Jesus, like 
He didn't start his ministry until he was 30 because he was following the culture of the time, which was, as a young man, you didn't decide as we do today what degree you were going to go out and get and what job you were going to do and what life you were going to live. You lived the life of your father. It wasn't a choice. It was a duty. Jesus didn't get to pick to be a builder or a tradesperson or a carpenter, depending on how you want to characterize it. It was his destiny because his dad was one. This was the way it worked. From the time he was 12, he would have started helping out with all the little things, and then it just would have increased. By the time he's 15, he's probably doing most of what his dad was doing because this is how it works. Your dad shows you what to do and how to do it. The son can't do anything of himself. He can only see what he does, does sees the father doing. I don't get to choose to go out and be whoever I want to be. I'm formed in the image of my father because I've been watching him. I've been learning from him. I've been receiving the ways of the trade from him. And I can only do what he's doing, but he keeps showing me more. And he's saying here, he's going to show me even greater things. And you're going to wonder at those greater things. You haven't seen the greatest things yet, is what he's saying. My, my dad is still teaching me. And there's more things he's going to show me that are going to come that are going to be greater than even the things you've seen. And so this was very familiar language, both to Jesus and to the people of the time, because this is how it worked. You did what your dad did. And so Jesus did that all the way until he was 30. I mean, who's 30? Ben. Ballparkish. 32. So it's like this would be the first time in your life you got to explore what to do with the life you've been handed. It is a long time you serve the things of your father. And by that time, you are so established and you are so competent in a way. Your life ultimately takes its own direction but applies the foundation of what's been built to a very similar work. And, and, the, and, and the life that you live isn't focused on the mark you can make. It's not focused on the thing you can build. It's not focused on the thing you can do. It's focused on stewarding what's been handed to you from the generation that's released it to you already. I got thinking about this because what we're talking about here is a heavenly father. Let's, let's remember this. Jesus is, is our example of a son, and he says, I don't do anything I don't see the father doing. Now, that's not necessarily just about outcomes, that's not just about an assignment or a job to do. It's he, what he's saying is, I watch what the father does and how he does it. And I've committed my life and my pursuit to the ways and the things and the character and the nature and the love. What he does, I want to do. And he keeps showing me greater things as I keep pursuing him. And I keep finding the way of life. And it's like he doesn't, he's, this is his duty, his commitment. He's not asking the father to come and insert what he has for strength and power and capacity into a vision of life that he has for himself. He's saying the life you're living is the example of the life I want to live. And then I got thinking about it and I was like, this is how it is. This is how it is. This is how we as people form. Sons become like fathers. Daughters become like fathers we also become like our mothers. This is the truth. We become like those who have raised us. This is how it was to be that life would be handed from generation to generation as an example of a godly, faithful pursuit. And we've done it imperfectly. There's no question. But we are still receiving from the generations that have gone before us the life of God. You know, it's, this, is, this is the story of Abraham will be the father of many nations, right? He will hand life from generation to generation, the people of God, all the way down. We are still the children of Abraham. 
this is still a piece of the puzzle and a part of our story. And then I got to thinking about it because maybe that's a little bit like too far out there. I got thinking about my own journey and I was like, God, you did something in my life around this. Because as a young son, I came to a really challenging place in my relationship with my dad and just was, was, will will express our way through this because I don't, I don't necessarily want to want to get stuck here. But what we are searching for is a principle that is both natural and spiritual. I, as a young man, felt the things that God was calling my life to, and my life felt really different to my dad's. I felt like a different person than him. He followed God. He was faithful to his family. He served the church. So, you know, you're sort of going, well, there's a lot of good example there. And, and there was, but God was, there were things that I felt like were a part of my story that weren't necessarily a part of my dad's story. And to have confidence as a young son to follow a road that I felt like I needed to follow, I picked up inadvertently a pride to protect myself that says I'm better than my dad and that's why I'm choosing what I'm choosing. To protect my own heart from feeling like a failure or feeling like, and so I picked up this pride. I didn't ever say it to my dad or I didn't ever act it out directly, but I knew it must have been there. And as I was going through this process of sort of like seeking God around, what does it mean to be your son? And he took me to this relationship with my dad and he took me to some of the things that had landed and some of the dishonor or the disrespect or the arrogance or the pride that had sort of risen up in my own heart. And I started to seek forgiveness for that. And I started to sort of like change that story. And what rose up within me was this part that realized that, sorry, yeah, that I'm so much like my dad and my mom, I'm some kind of mix of these two beautiful people that gave life and handed an example to me and formed within me so much of who I was. And so I felt compelled in this season to write a letter to my dad, who was living overseas at the time. And so I wrote a letter that was talking all about the things in my life that stood on the shoulders of who he was. And I felt like God said, you guys need to go and visit them and take him for breakfast and share these things with him. And, and give him the letter. And so I did, and most of you know this story, but three months later, my dad passed away after I met with him for this beautiful breakfast of apologizing and asking for forgiveness and, and honoring who he, who, he, who he is in my story. And then three months later, I read the letter that I gave to my dad as the eulogy at his funeral, saying, uh, I grew up wanting to be you. And you've shown me how to be a man, and how to love God, how to love your wife, how to be a good person, how to present pursue things of meaning and I was so grateful so grateful that God healed the part of my heart that thought I had to make it on my own because I have been formed by an example that I thought I had to be better than or that I thought I had to prove worth from when the truth was I was always meant to be like my dad
It's within me. This is how we form. That the life of faith is handed from generation to generation. That the life of character and the life of purpose is handed from one to another to another. And the good news in this is our dads, our moms, our examples in life will fail us. That's the truth. And the power of that is that we have a heavenly father who is our greatest, most powerful, most purposeful example. But this part, this part of us that imitates has to come close to a passion that says, my desire is to be like you. And our generation has told us a lie that you need to be better than, that you need to find your own way, that you need to make your own mark, that you need to do something that establishes your own significance in life. You know what? I don't think it was ever meant to be like that. I think we were meant to well up within us a passion that says, I want to be like you. I want to live out a life that's been exemplified. And I want to reach for, for that which which is example, I want the things that I do to be that which I see my God doing. And so we'll transition out of like this natural letter picture with my dad, because I only got to that because of Jesus. Because he was the example to say, Brad, you honor your father. This is what I do. I look to who my dad is and I'm becoming it. And we see that here in this story. <laughs> And, and, and what we know is that Jesus is our example of being a son. And what he said is, I, I only do things the way I see the father doing it. I only do the work that he's doing. I only do it in the way that he does it. And, and it's, it's, I'm not trying to find my own way or make my own life. I'm trying to live out what my dad is. And when we come to a proficiency in receiving the apprenticeship and the tutelage of the father's heart, we become life-giving sons and daughters on earth, just like Jesus was. But it takes this heart that says, I want to be like my dad. I want to know him. I want to know his ways. I want to know the wondrous, powerful things that he does. I want him to show me the next thing. You know, when we think about it in those apprenticeship terms, it's like if our relationship to a father God is one that is going to bestow upon us the ways of life and all that we are to do and all the ways in which we're to do it. And we stop just looking for assignments from him. We're not just looking for a job to do. We're not looking for something he needs accomplished. We're not looking for the assignment that's going to bring the purpose to our life. We're looking for the ways of God to become ours, that we could be his sons and daughters on earth and carry the way of God. And we need to be unapologetic about that because around us sits a culture that's all about the things in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But that is not who our father is. That is not how he lives. And it's not what he prioritizes. He has a different way and a different means and a different invitation for those who would say, I want to be just like my dad. And we got to pull God closer and we got to say, how would you do it? What would you do? What would you prioritize? What would, what would serve you? What would be best? Take this life and form it and shape it in your character, in your way, in your love. I want to come close and I want to be just like my dad. This is how we grow. This is how we're formed. And you know, there's a way of the world that's, that's, that's less than. That's, that's, and, and it's this formation journey that says, be formed through what you know. And in the second half of John chapter 5, we, we, Jesus sort of deals with that. Let's, let's, let's pick this story up. 
We're gonna, we're gonna cut to discussions pretty quickly. But in John chapter five, starting from verse 37, we're sort of skipping a chunk where Jesus is sort of dealing with and talking about these things, but he picks it up and he continues to talk about his father. In verse 37, he says, and the father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, his majesty and greatness and what he's like. You do not have his word, the scripture abiding in you, actually living in your hearts and minds because you don't believe in him who he has sent. You know, really what he's, what he's saying there is he's saying, you guys are missing it because you don't know my dad. If you knew my dad, you would believe in me because he's told you about me. In the very scriptures that you're reading, he told you about me. And if you knew my dad, you'd believe in me because here I am. And he testifies about me. He says, this is my son whom I love, but you don't know me because you don't know him. He goes on to say, you search and keep on searching and examining the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet in those very scriptures that testify about, sorry, and yet it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And you are still unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory and approval from men, but I know you, but I know you. And I recognize that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name and with his power, and you do not receive me because your minds are closed. But if another comes in his own name and with no authority or power except his own, you will receive him and you'll give him approval and you will give approval to an imposter. How can you believe in me when you seek and receive the glory and approval from one another? And yet you do not seek the glory and approval which comes from the one and only God. I mean, this is kind of like this bomb that he drops where he says, you are seeking everything from scripture and you know it backwards and forwards, but you do not know my God. And, and you know, I think we live in a day and an age that seeks formation through knowledge. You know, we decide that I am going to be a psychologist and I go off and somebody teaches me the things to know about being a psychologist and then I am one and I go and be one but it's not the way that it worked in this season. You didn't go off and take a degree and read books and learn things and be imparted in the way in which our society has, has valued formation. Formation in society today comes through knowing things. Formation here came through following an example and becoming something. And, and when we take this idea of knowing things as our pathway to becoming sons and daughters and carrying the love and purpose and ministry of our God, we miss the fact that the only way to receive this is by pulling him close and saying, show me, show me what love is. He says, he says if, if, if you knew God, if you had received this, you would believe in me. There are parts of this powerful gospel that do not come through advanced knowledge of scriptures. This is what he's saying here. You can know and examine and have this back to front and still miss the whole thing. Live lives that lack love and power. But when we get close to our God, we pull him close and we say, I want to be just like my dad. He introduces a way to us that sees the lives we live carrying something that isn't our own. 
carrying a purpose, carrying a love, carrying a power to accomplish the things of God. That's what he showed us to do. And the way he showed us to do it, you know, you don't need to learn the ways of God from every course that's out there. We don't, we don't need to go and pick the person who's the greatest prophet or the greatest speaker or the greatest evangelist and say, I'm going to be just like you. Yes, there's value to that. I'm not saying like, let's write off all the good people in the world. But it's like, if God isn't bigger than that person and his ways aren't your pursuit, he'll lead you to a person and say, watch this person. You know, he'll lead you to spaces and places that form and develop us. But it's like, we've got to stop trying to imitate earthly examples. And we've got to ask God for his ways. And even Jesus at this point in his journey where he's ministered and he's lifted this man off his pallet and he's walked away, said, my dad's not done showing me greater things. He said, my dad's still saying, you're going to see even greater things than what you've seen today. There's more coming because he's not done teaching. And he's not done releasing. He's not done showing. He's not done imparting. You know, when our pursuit of life becomes, God, I want to be like my dad. Jesus is our example of this. He lived a life that said, I'm not going to do anything that my father hasn't shown me the way on. I'm going to, I'm going to yield my life to being released and imparted to by the father's heart and his ways will become my ways his ministry will become my ministry his power will become my power his love will become my love because i know him and i've watched him and i've seen this is what jesus is saying to these people you know these scriptures backwards and forwards but you don't know my god because his love and his power isn't in you and if you knew him, his love and his power would be present because those are the things he's releasing to you. I think, man, this is a, this is a powerful picture. A powerful picture of how we form. And, and it is swimming against the tide of the lives we've been taught to live. Go out and make something of yourself. Go out and learn something. Go out and know something. Go out and become something. It's like, well, pull, well, you know, this is the permission in this story to pull into a God who's forming and shaping us for purpose and who's drawing us into a love and a power that this world knows nothing of. We want a greater picture of life than what these dangerous times that 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about. We want something more than the selfishness, the greediness, the, the power seeking them. You know, and it's like, we can't become that. We don't have to just know it. It's like, we got to pull a God close and, and let a heart of desire rise up that says, I want to be just like you. And that is a life of purpose and power. I don't have to feel second rate about that. I don't have to feel like that's a cop out. I don't have to feel like that's going to be a weaker life or a less life or an insignificant life. And like Jesus, if you find yourself in a place in your mid thirties where you still feel like you're getting to know the heart of the father before anything powerful has moved through your life, you just go, God builds good things in waiting and watching and growing and receiving. And in his right time, my father will release me into something of significance. When I know his ways and I've received his character and his love has taken hold and his power has been established, something incredible of my God will flow from this life on this earth in his time and for his purpose. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that wholeheartedly. And even for myself, see it in my own journey. I got bounced between place of insignificance and you know I mean if you had known me in my 20s you all would have had me on your prayer list not because I was a heathen but just because it just seemed like I just didn't have a clue 
it's like, oh, one day he's a social worker, the next day he's unemployed, and then after that he's a pastor. What is this? Is a guy coming or going? You know, but God was forming trust in him and he was leading me to places of coming to understand him and I, I am so not there but I tell you what I this heart beats with a heart that goes I want to be like my dad I do I want to see his power move on earth I want to see his love be real and tangible I want to be like my dad and I feel like what's moving me in this picture today of what Jesus is releasing to us in this story where he's addressing the alternative is like, come close, get passionate, watch what I'm doing, take note of how I'm doing it. Don't just come asking for the assignment. Come and watch the way I speak to people. Come and watch the way that I move. Come and, come and take note of the people who I take note of. Come and let a heart rise within you that sees how I'm ministering, how I'm moving, what I'm prioritizing, and stop looking to the examples of the world as your example, Brad. Just come to be like your dad. This is how we form. This is how we imitate the life of Jesus. This is the example that he was of a son who loved and constricted his life to the work of the father. It is our greatest invitation and our most powerful duty as followers of Jesus that we would take the heart of the Father and make it our mission. I want to be like my dad. And, and, and we are. We are in every way like those who have handed life to us. And the benefit of that story is, uh, regardless of the heritage that we hold on earth, when we accept Christ into our life, we are handed a spiritual heritage that gives us a heavenly father who has a love and has a work and has a way and, and runs wide open apprenticeships. And he's just looking for people who would say, I want to be like my dad. Come join me in what I'm doing. And don't ask for that to be the most significant thing. Don't ask for the purpose to come through the great thing you put your hand to make the purpose that I'm getting to know my dad and I'm coming to receive all that he does in every way that he does it. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's jump into some groups and let's have a chat about this idea of the part of us that forms through having an example. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is the simplest thing to do. Uh, this idea of pulling God close and letting his ways become our ways. But how have we experienced that? Or what practically does this look like? Or where are the spaces and places where that feels like an accessible opportunity to us today? Like this week, how would you apply this and see it come to be? How have you seen it over your story come to be? Let's sort of talk about this in those terms that try and really bring us close and let it be something that we can take hold of. So let's let's jump in and like try and keep them small. I know we like to, you know, just split into two. We gotta...